Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to day three of Dr. Neufeld's series on the book of Romans, The Heart of the Gospel. Today's message focuses on Romans 1, verses 1 to 7, what we're calling Christianity 101. This message is for everyone who's familiar with the gospel and those who are still searching. Now let's join Dr. Neufeld as we go back to the Bible. I'm reading Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This letter of Romans begins with Paul introducing himself, and as we're going to see, because he was never been to Rome, this book contains the largest and longest introduction of himself of any other book Paul has written. Because this church is embroiled in a crisis over what is the heart of the gospel, Paul has to introduce himself. I mean, why else would you listen to him? Only when you trust him will you listen and believe what he has to say when he explains the essence of Christianity and when he gives the church in Rome a lesson on Christianity 101. I want to speak to the different people who are listening to me across this great nation. Many of you are mature believers. You know the Christian message. You might want to say, well, let's get past the introduction of this book because it really gets interesting very quickly. But are you absolutely certain you know the gospel and that you know it so well that you can easily explain it to someone who doesn't know and to do so simply and understandably and believably and attractively? You should know, and therefore this introduction will be a great refresher. And some of you are brand new believers. You're trying to state in your own words what it is that you've begun to believe, and that's so important. And some of you, I'm sure, are seekers. You're interested. You may have been searching for a while or are newly encountering the Christian faith now, and you want to know what it is these people actually believe and teach. This sermon really is for everyone. Do you know how difficult it is in our day to understand the gospel at all? I mean, I've tried to imagine what it would be like to be a non-believer who is right now searching. I mean, I went to an internet search engine just the other day, and I punched up Christianity, and immediately I got 103 million sites. I know that's not unusual, but if I wanted to know what Christianity was all about from the internet, well, I'd be overwhelmed. I mean, one site interested me. It was called The Christian Religion, All Points of View. So I opened it up and got a range of things I should check out. I mean, one category was entitled History, the next Beliefs, then Creeds and Practices and Christian Holy Days, Trends. One category even had Sacred Relics. I thought, man, if I'm seeking, I'd be thoroughly confused by now. But the confusion doesn't end at the Internet. I mean, think of all the different Christian denominations. If you're seeking, if you're looking for a church, which brand should you try? You know, some time ago, a woman told me of her journey to the Christian faith. I mean, after a miraculous incident in which she told me that she heard the voice of God speaking to her at all places at a party in which the music was droning loudly, she decided to begin to seek. She went to a Christian bookstore. She decided to buy a Bible. And there were so many different kinds on the shelf, so many different versions and so forth. She was completely confused even in getting a Bible. And then think of all the radio and television broadcasts, and you hear some very contradictory things out there. Or go into Chapter's bookstore and look under Christianity, and you'll get an amazing array of different books from every different perspective. Well, you know, that's not new. The first century Roman world had hundreds and thousands of different religions, and even in the Christian church, factions had begun, especially those factions that existed in in relationship to Christianity to the Old Testament law. 
There were a group of people, we call them Judaizers, and that is those people that believed Christians were required to observe the Old Testament law in all its details and those who did not. Have you been circumcised? They would ask Gentile men. And then they'd say, if not, you're not saved. Sounds like the beginning of a new denomination to me. And others said, you know, that's nonsense. We're free from the law. So, so what is the saving message of Jesus really? And exactly which group should you believe? And then very early on, there was another type of Christian. that Those people were basically lawless. They said all you needed to do was believe in Jesus, and then you could live any way you wanted to. Or read 1 Thessalonians, where there were those who said that Jesus had already returned a second time. Or in 1 Corinthians, there were those who said there was no such thing as a resurrection from the dead. Well, that all sounds confusing. In other words, there were divisions in the Christian faith very close to the very beginning of the church. So if you wanted to know what Christianity was all about, even way back then, well, here's what you have to decide. Who are you going to believe? And see, Paul knows that. He's never been to Rome, and so his introduction here is vital. This is the longest introduction of any of his books, and his introduction is intended to establish his credibility because just like us, the Roman Christians wanted to know whom to believe. And so here's how Paul answered the question. He wants to say, first of all, you've got to know that I am completely devoted to Jesus. If you want to know whom to trust, trust someone like that. Notice how he begins the letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, this is language the Romans would have understood because somewhere around one-third of all people who lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. No doubt many of the church in Rome were servants or slaves. We know that it's true of the church in Corinth, for example. There in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul reminds those believers that not many of them were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I mean, the likelihood here is that a great many of them were, yeah, slaves. So converted slaves made up a great chunk of the New Testament church, so much so that some secular writers at that time mocked the uneducated lower classes to whom Christianity appealed. So when Paul begins this letter calling himself a servant, all who heard the letter knew exactly what he was referring to. Now, we don't have that kind of connection with slaves today or servants the way Paul did. So we need to answer the question, what is a servant? And I think that Jesus, in one of his parables, helped us understand slaves well. He said in Luke 17, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down at the table? Now, I can imagine when he said that, people laughed. Will he not rather say, Jesus said, say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? See, everyone knew the answer. In other words, a servant is not about caring for his or her own needs, but rather setting aside what he wants and serving the needs of his master. You know, I've got a friend who's been a security officer for a very famous family when they visit America. Now, I can't tell you who that family is, and I think that would be a breach of his security. But let me say this, that if I mentioned the name of that family, I think everyone listening would know the name of that family. 
He tells me that when that family says on a given evening, I mean, we want to go from, let's say, Los Angeles and visit the Smithsonian Institute in Washington. The next day, well, all the servants scramble to get meals and flight plans, motels, make security arrangements, pack clothes. I mean, they work all night while that special family sleeps. In the morning, when that family gets up, rested and refreshed, that family takes for granted that everyone has done exactly what they have desired. Well, that's what servants do. And that's a description of Paul's life. He was a man who had lost his status in the Jewish community, a man who had become despised all over the world, who had suffered and had been beaten simply because he was doing the will of Christ. And I think what Paul is saying is this, I'm not telling you the gospel because that's my job or I have some kind of advantage in doing it, or I'm trying to establish a following for myself. Now, he's telling us this. I'm telling you the gospel because I'm a servant. I'm doing what my master demands. And by the way, do you know how rare that is? Someone who lives his or her entire life only for Jesus. And I wish we all reached that level of maturity, that each one of us who served Jesus would truly serve him for no other advantage than that Christ is glorified, no matter what it cost us. You know how many people today are, for instance, afraid to share Jesus. I mean, they're concerned about ridicule or what others might say, but what they're really doing is they're concerned for themselves. You know, or some people in our day preach the gospel because that's the, you know, they're doing it for the sake of money. They're thinking of themselves. I remember years ago reading about the atheist philosopher David Hume in the 1700s. He would go regularly to see the great English preacher George Whitfield preach. And Hume was asked why he went. Is it that he now believed? And Hume said, no, not a chance. But it's awfully impressive to see a man who does. See, that's a very powerful statement. I want that to be said about me, and I suspect that most of you listening to me today want that to be said about you as well. But that's what Paul said about himself. That's why when we read him, we should know that this man is a man who set aside his personal desires and wants, and he did this for the sake of Christ. So that's the first step that Paul takes in establishing his credibility and also showing why it is that we should be listening to him today. So how do you feel about sharing the gospel? Is it second nature or does the very idea cause you to panic and fear how people might respond? Well, Paul was a man compelled to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He was an inspirational example to all of us when it comes to being a passionate servant and believer. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will continue looking at Romans chapter 1 and will shed some more light on how we can identify reliable teaching. I hope you're enjoying Dr. Newfeld's series on Romans, The Heart of the Gospel. This five-week series is available to be heard anytime at backtothebible.ca, or you can purchase a copy of the entire series on CD for yourself. I also wanted to mention that for the month of February, we're giving away John's last series on the book of Philemon, An Alternative Lifestyle, and it's a free gift for those who give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's rejoin Dr. Neufeld for more of Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we've been saying that Paul was a unique man because he had set aside his personal wants in order to make Christ known. But then Paul goes beyond that and continues to establish his credibility. 
He wants to say that he's also a man that's sent directly from God. See, after saying that he's a servant of Christ, he mentions that he's called to be an apostle. So what does that mean? Now, look, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has his or her own point of view. That's why there's so many different approaches to spirituality, to religion, even different approaches to the gospel itself. But, says Paul, I'm called to be an apostle. Not, I have chosen this as a good career, or I saw an opening on a webpage and thought I had sent in my resume. No, Christ called him. That's his story. Paul was not a man who had any interest in Jesus prior to his conversion. In fact, he hated Jesus. He was a proud member of the Pharisees, a sect in Judaism that was the enemy of Christ. He gave his approval when the first Christian martyr in history was stoned to death. He was given a job description from the Pharisees to round up Christians in Syria and put them in prison. Furthermore, he himself testified that he had no conscience problems when he did this. He felt God was pleased by him doing this. But of course, the day came on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself appeared to him and turned his life upside down. Yep, he was converted, but there's actually more. Jesus actually called him to be an apostle. And according to his own testimony in the book of Galatians, he met with no other apostle for years. I mean, he went away to Arabia and then to Damascus where the risen Christ met him and revealed to him the gospel that he preached. In other words, he didn't get his gospel from men. He got it directly from Christ himself. And that's why he could call himself an apostle. The apostles were the men who had been personally trained by Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.1, he writes, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And the way some people tell the story of Paul is they want him to look as if he's a man that feels guilty about how he was treating the church and, and his guilt led him to defend the church that he had once persecuted in order to make amends of some kind. But Paul always denied this. He had no inner sense of his own guilt or sin prior to that. He was proud of his former way of life. He thought he was pleasing God by dragging Christians off into prison. But one day, Jesus stood in his path, blinded him, spoke to him, and gave him a lifelong commission. And Paul never had the sense that his apostolic duty was his choosing. No, God had chosen him. So that's why in Galatians, for instance, 1.1, he would write, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Or listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1.1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now, that's so important because we live in a world with many opinions. I mean, one person believes this, the next that. I mean, there's books, books, books that go on forever. Preachers, scholars, regular people, all with their own opinion about what's right. I mean, television programs and blogs and internet sites. I suspect we have more opinions about everything possible in our day than anyone else ever had in the past. So how are we going to decide whom to believe? You should answer that question because you should go to one whose only source comes directly from God. I wish I had the time to defend Paul's apostleship. I mean, someday, by God's grace, I hope to when we do a study on Galatians. Because in that defense of his apostleship, Paul actually sets the stage for the defense of the authority of the New Testament itself and why it is that the Bible is the only source we can trust when it comes to the gospel. Listen, it doesn't matter what I 
or your best friend who studied theology or anyone else says, the apostolic record, which is our New Testament, trumps each and every opinion. So let me give you a brief summary of how this works. First of all, Jesus himself explained what he was up to. In Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15, he says, And he went up on a mountain, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, and then the names are given. Now, from that text, we should be able to see five marks of an apostle. First of all, they were directly appointed by Jesus. Secondly, they were personal eyewitnesses of what Jesus did. Thirdly, they were called to be with him, that is, directly trained by him. Fourthly, they were given a unique authority to preach and to drive out demons. And fifth and finally, there were 12 of them. That is, their number was not an open number. We're not looking for more resumes as time goes by. Now, according to Christ's own words, recorded in John 14, 6, he promises something to the apostles that's unique to them. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In other words, these apostles would be given supernatural power to accurately remember all that Jesus did and taught, but also they were given power to explain the implications of all that Jesus did and taught. So rightly understood, that's what the New Testament is. It's an apostolic book. It contains everything that Jesus wanted said. That's why we never pit Jesus against Paul or Jesus against Peter or Paul against Peter and so forth. And and just by the way, I mean, I've got no real axe to grind here, but I really don't like red-letter Bibles as if the red letters are more important. In fact, all the New Testament is the very thing Jesus wanted taught, no more and no less. And according to Ephesians, that's the foundation for the church. And like any other foundation to a building, it's laid down only once. Everything else is built on that foundation. That's why we're not looking for apostles today. It's a once-for-all foundation laid down at one time. But what does all that mean? Well, it's very simple. It's not a personal opinion. It's not people believing maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to them. It's not someone who says, I got a vision of some sort. Rather, we should listen to someone who was directly trained by Jesus. In Galatians 1, 11 to 12, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. So whom do you trust? Well, you trust someone completely devoted to Jesus, sure enough, but that's only the first thing. Then you need to trust someone who has been directly called from Jesus himself, trained by Jesus, not his own personal opinions. Thirdly, trust someone uniquely called to explain the message. Paul says in verse 1 that he was set apart for the gospel. In other words, says Paul, I have a, a life's purpose. I exist to preach the gospel to the Gentiles in places where the gospel has never been heard before. My reason for existence is to make the gospel message plain. I've been called by God to help seekers and novices and those who are confused to understand. Later in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Paul would say, For necessity is laid upon me. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So why am I spending all this time on this one short verse? Because you have to know who you're going to trust. You've got to prefer what you read here in Romans to every other personal opinion that you've ever heard. Your eternity depends on it. See, every once in a while, someone will say, you know, why should I believe the New Testament? And the answer is because the men that wrote it were all eyewitnesses of Jesus and been personally handpicked to tell his story. That's the reason. So here's what we believe it back to the Bible. You can't know how to get to heaven and have your sins forgiven without your Bible. You can't know for certain how to secure your eternity without your Bible. You won't know that God is angry with you without your Bible. And you won't know what to do about that without your Bible. That's why you need to study the Bible. You need to know the Bible. You need to be taught by the Bible. And verse 1 in Romans is the foundation of what's to follow. It's God himself saying to this, Listen, I know you read lots of opinions, but look up. This is different. This is me. This is God himself speaking to you. John, this has been a great message and a great reminder of the importance of authority. But in our day and age, why are we so easily misled by the things that go on around us? We certainly are in our day and age, but I think we are in every day and age. Um, I know that we've all heard people say, just listen to your heart. And yet, you know, Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful and beyond cure. And it just seems that the sinful heart rejects an authoritative word that comes from God and prefers a wide range of opinion. Um, I think it's just who we are on this side of the fall. And uh, it's just always going to be that way on this side of the fall. So how do we get redirected back into the word when we've been distracted by so much of the white noise that's around us? I think we need to start with prayer. We have to begin by saying, you know, Lord, you've got to change my heart so that I'd love the things of the word and that I'd come to trust that. It's just a strange thing that I have to do that, but I do have to do that. And I think the Lord answers that prayer. Any prayer that we've had in the name of Jesus, God will answer. So I would encourage all the listeners to say, every time we open the Bible or you open the Bible on your own, just to simply say, Lord, help me to love what I'm reading. Help me to take this as what it truly is, God's authoritative word in my life. It's a great call to get back into the Word of God, to study His Word, to let that Word to direct our lives and everything that we do and everything that we say, every attitude that we have. What a great message. Thanks, Dr. Neufeld. And tomorrow we'll continue our series on the book of Romans, and we look forward to that. God bless. I hope you've been challenged by today's message. It's critical that we spend time in God's Word and that we can trust and understand what we're being told. Credibility is important when it comes to sharing the gospel and applying its truth to how we live. Join us tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues to reveal the truth of the gospel through the book of Romans. As followers of Jesus, it's important that we take the time to refresh ourselves spiritually, mentally, and physically. It's also important that we continue to learn and spend as much time in God's Word as possible. 
What better opportunity for that than the Back to the Bible Laugh Again Cruise? The cruise takes place March 22nd to the 29th, and it will be a time not only to relax, but refresh spiritually. Join myself, Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and other special musical guests for an unforgettable experience. Registration is limited, so to reserve your spot, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.